volume one chapter five of the day will come by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five poor little life that toddles half an hour crowned with a flower or two and there an end sir godfrey's device for diverting his wife's mind from the morbid fancies of the previous night answered admirably she left dorchester in high spirits after having invited her cousins to cheriton for tennis and lunch on the following day and after having bade an affectionate good-bye to theodore who was to start on his holiday directly he could make an end of some important business now in hand his father told him laughingly that he might have gone a week earlier had he really wanted to go i believe there must be some attraction for you in dorchester though i am not clever enough to find out what it is said mr dalbrook innocently for you have been talking about going away for the last fortnight and yet you don't go lady carmichael had lingered in the homely old house till afternoon tea had lingered over her tea telling her cousins all they wanted to know about smart society in london that one central spot of bright white light in the dull grey mass of a busy commonplace world of which she knew so much and of which they knew so little janet and sophia professed to be above caring for these things except from a purely philosophical point of view as they cared for ants bees and wasps but they listened eagerly all the same with occasional expressions of wonder that human beings could be so trivial five hundred pounds spent in flowers at lady drumlock's ball cried sophie and to think that in a few more million years the sun may be as cold as the north pole and what trace will there be then of all this butterfly world did the mountains cut a tremendous dash this season asked janet frivolously curious about their immediate neighbours county people who went to london for the season of course you know she had thirty thousand pounds left her by an uncle quite lately and she is so utterly without brains that i dare say she will spend it all in entertainments oh they did entertain a good deal and they did their best poor things and people went to them juanita answered with a deprecating air but still i should hardly like to say that they are in society in the first place she has never succeeded in getting the prince at any of her dances and in the next place her parties have a cloud of provincial dullness about them against which it is in vain to struggle he can never forget his constituents and his duty to his borough and that kind of thing does not answer if one wants to give really nice parties i'm afraid her legacy won't do her much good poor soul unless she gets some clever person to show her how to spend it there is a kind of society instinct don't you know and she is without it i believe the people who give good parties are born not made like poets and orators sir godfrey looked down at her smiling at her juvenile arrogance which to his mind was more bewitching than another woman's humility we mean to show them the way next year if we take a house in town he said but we are not going to have a house in town answered juanita quickly why godfrey you know i have done with all that kind of frivolity we can go to victoria street in may and stay with our people there long enough to see all the pictures and hear some good music and just rub shoulders with the friends we like at half a dozen parties and then we will go back to our nest at the priory do you think that i am like lady mountain and want to waste my life upon the society struggle when i have you it was after five o'clock when they left dorchester it was more than half-past seven when they drew near cheriton and the sun was setting behind the irregular line of hills towards studland they approached the manor by one of the most picturesque lanes in the district 
a lane sunk between high banks rugged and rocky and with here and there a massive trunk of beech or oak jutting out above the roadway while the gnarled and twisted roots spread over the rough shelving ground and seemed to hold up the meadowland upon the higher level a dark secret-looking lane it must have seemed on a moonless night sunk so deeply between those earth walls and overshadowed by those gigantic trunks and interlacing branches but in this mellow evening light it was a place in which to linger there was a right of way through cheriton chase and this sunk lane was the favourite approach a broad carriage drive crossed the chase and park skirted the great elm avenue that led to the house and swept round by a wide semicircle to the great iron gates which opened on the high road from wareham the steep gable ends of an old english cottage rose amidst the trees on the upper ground just outside the gate at the end of the lane it was a veritable old english cottage and had been standing at that corner of the park like meadow for more than two hundred years and had known but little change during those two centuries it was a good deal larger than the generality of lodges and it differed from other lodges in so much as it stood outside the gate instead of inside and on a higher level than the road but it was a lodge all the same and the duty of the person who lived in it was to open the gate of cheriton chase to all comers provided they came in such vehicles as were privileged to enjoy the right of way there was a line drawn somewhere perhaps at coal-wagons or tradesmen's carts but for the generality of vehicles the carriage road across cheriton chase was free a rosy-faced girl of about fourteen came tripping down the steps built into the bank as the carriage approached and was curtsying at the open gate in time for sir godfrey to drive through without slackening the pace he gave her a friendly nod as he passed does mrs porter never condescend to open the gate herself he asked juanita seldom for any one except my father i think she makes a point of doing it for him though i believe he would much rather she didn't you mustn't sneer at her godfrey she is a very unassuming person and very grateful for her comfortable position here though she has known better days poor soul that is always such a vague expression what were the better days like she is the widow of a captain in the mercantile marine i think it is called a man who was almost a gentleman she was left very poor and my father who knew her husband gave her the lodge to take care of and a tiny pension not so much as i spend upon gloves and shoes i am afraid and she has lived here contentedly and gratefully for the last ten years it must be a sadly dull life for she is an intellectual woman too refined to associate with upper servants and village tradespeople so she has no one to talk to literally no one except when the vicar or any of us call upon her but that is not the worst poor thing pursued juanita dropping her voice to a subdued and sorrowful tone she had a great trouble some years ago you remember don't you godfrey i blush to say that mrs porter's trouble has escaped my memory oh you have been so much away you would hardly hear anything about it perhaps she had an only daughter her only child a very handsome girl whom she had educated most carefully and the girl went wrong and disappeared i never heard the circumstances i was not supposed to know but i know she vanished suddenly and that there was a good deal of fuss with mother and the servants and the vicar and mrs porter's hair began to whiten from that time and people who had not cared much for her before were so sorry that they grew quite fond of her it is a common story enough said godfrey what could a handsome girl do except go wrong in such a life as that did she open the gate while she was here only for my father i believe mrs porter has always contrived to keep a girl in a pinafore like that girl you just saw now all the girls come from the same family or have done for the last six or seven years 
as soon as the girl grows out of pinafores she goes off to some better service and a younger sister drops into her place and her pinafores i suppose mrs porter's girls always do well she has a reputation for making a good servant out of the raw material a clever woman no doubt very clever to have secured a lodge-keeper's berth without being obliged to open the gate a woman who knows how to take care of herself you ought not to disparage her godfrey the poor thing has known so much trouble think of what it was to lose the daughter she loved and in such a way worse than death i don't know about that death means the end a loving mother might rather keep the sinner than lose the saint and the sinner may wash herself clean and become a saint after the order of mary magdalene if this mrs porter had been really devoted to her daughter she would have followed her and brought her back to the fold she would not be here leading a life of genteel idleness in that picturesque old cottage while the lost sheep is still astray in the wilderness you are very hard upon her godfrey i am hard upon all shams and pretences i have not spoken to mrs porter above half a dozen times in my life she never opens the gate for me you know but i have a fixed impression that she is a hypocrite a harmless hypocrite perhaps one of those women whose chief object in life is to stand well with the vicar of her parish they were all at the door by this time and it was a quarter to eight let us sit in the drawing-room this evening godfrey said juanita as she ran off to dress for dinner the library would give me the horrors after last night my capricious one you will be tired of the drawing-room to-morrow i should not be surprised if you ordered me to sit on the housetop we might rig up a tent for afternoon tea between two chimney-stacks juanita made a rapid toilette and appeared in one of her graceful cream-white tea-gowns veiled in a cloud of softest lace just as the clocks were striking eight she was all gaiety to-night just as she had been all morbid apprehension last night and when they went to the drawing-room after dinner together for it was not to be supposed that sir godfrey would linger over a solitary glass of claret she flew to the grand piano and began to play tito mattei's famous waltz which seemed the most consummate expression of joyousness possible to her the brilliant music filled the atmosphere with gaiety while the face of the player turned to her husband as she played harmonized with a light-hearted melody the drawing-room was as frivolously pretty as the library was soberly grand it was lady cheriton's taste which had ruled here and the room was a kind of record of her ladyship's travels she had bought pretty things or curious things whenever they took her fancy and had brought them home to her cheriton drawing-room thus the walls were hung with algerian embroideries on damask or satin and decorated with rhodian pottery the furniture was a mixture of old french and old italian the dresden tea-services and ivory statuettes and capo di monte vases and copenhagen figures had been picked up all over the continent without any regard to their combined effect but there were so many things that the ultimate result was delightful the room being spacious enough to hold everything without the slightest appearance of overcrowding the piano stood in a central position and was draped with a japanese robe of state a mass of rainbow-hued embroidery on the ground of violet satin almost covered with gold thread it was the most gorgeous fabric godfrey carmichael had ever seen and it made the piano a spot of vivid party-coloured light amidst the more subdued colouring of the room the silvery silken curtains the delicate indian muslin draperies and the dull tawny plush coverings of sofas and chairs the room was lighted only by clusters of wax candles and a reading-lamp on a small table near one of the windows 
it was a rule that wherever sir godfrey spent his evening there must always be a reading-table and lamp ready for him he showed no eagerness for his books yet awhile but seemed completely happy lolling at full length on a sofa near the piano listening and watching as juanita played she played more of matei's brilliant music another waltz an arrangement of non and then dashed into one of chopin's wildest mazurkas with an audacious self-abandonment that was almost genius godfrey listened rapturously delighted with the music for its own sake but even more delighted for the gladness which it expressed she stopped at last breathless after mendelssohn's capriccio godfrey had risen from the sofa and was standing by her side i'm afraid i must have tired you to death she said but i had a strange sort of feeling that i must go on playing that music was a safety valve for my high spirits my darling i am so glad to see that you have done with imaginary woes we may have real troubles of some kind to face by and by perhaps as we go down the hill so it would be very foolish to abandon ourselves to fancied sorrows while we are on the top real troubles yes sickness anxiety the fear of parting said juanita in a troubled voice oh godfrey if we were to give half our fortune to the poor if we were to make some great sacrifice do you think god could spare us such pangs as these the fear the horrible fear of being parted from each other my dearest we cannot make a bargain with providence we can only do our duty and hope for the best at any rate let us be very very good to the poor urged juanita with intense earnestness let us have their prayers to plead for us the night was warm and still and the windows were all open to the terrace godfrey and juanita took their coffee in their favorite corner by the magnolia tree and sat there for a long time in the soft light of the stars talking the old sweet talk of their future life we must drive to swanet and see lady jane to-morrow said juanita by and by don't you think it was very wrong to go to see my people only cousins after all before we went to your mother she will come to us dear directly we give her permission i know she is dying to see you in your new character how lovely she looked at the wedding in her pale grey gown and bonnet i love her almost as well as i love my own dear good indulgent mother and i think she is the most perfect lady i ever met i don't think you'll find her very much like the typical mother-in-law at any rate replied godfrey gaily they decided on driving to swanage next morning they would go in the landau and bring the mother back with them for a day or two if she could be persuaded to come juanita stifled a yawn presently and seemed somewhat languid after her sleepless night and long day of talk and vivacity i am getting very stupid company she said i'll go to bed early to-night godfrey and leave you an hour's quiet with wider horizons i know you are longing to go on with that book but your chatterbox wife won't let you of course he protested that her society was worth more than all the books in the british museum he offered to take his book up to her room and read her to sleep if she liked but she would not have it so you shall have your own quiet corner and your books just as if you were still a bachelor she said caressingly as she hung upon his shoulder for a good-night kiss as for me i am utterly tired out janet and sophie talked me to death and then there was the long drive home i shall be as fresh as ever to-morrow morning and ready to be off to dear lady jane he went into the hall with her and to the top of the stairs for the privilege of carrying her candlestick and he only left her at the end of the corridor out of which her room opened 
she did not ring for her maid preferring solitude to that young person's attendance she did not want to be worried with elaborate hair-brushing or ceremonies of any kind she was thoroughly exhausted with the alterations of emotion of which her life had been made up of late and she fell asleep almost as soon as her head touched her pillow the bedroom was over the drawing-room her last look from the open casement had shown her the reflection of the lights below on the terrace she was near enough to have spoken out of the window to her husband had she been so minded she could picture him sitting at the table at the corner window in his thoughtful attitude his head bent over his book one knee drawn up nearly to his chin one arm hanging loosely across the arm of his low easy-chair she had watched him thus many a time completely absorbed in his book she slept as tranquilly as an infant and her dream wanderings were all in pleasant places with him always with him confused after the manner of all dreams but with no sign of trouble what was this dream about being with him at woolwich where they were firing a big gun a curious dream she had been there once with her father to see a gun drawn but she had never seen one fired there and now in her dream she stood in a crowd of strange faces fronting the river and there was a long grey iron-clad on the water a turret ship and there came a flash and then a puff of white smoke and the report of a gun short and sharp not like the roar of a cannon by any means and yet her dream showed her the dark sullen gun on the grey deck the biggest gun she had ever seen she started up from her pillow cold and trembling the report of the gun had seemed so real and so near that it had awakened her she was wide awake now and pushed back her loose hair from her eyes and felt under her pillow for her watch and looked at it in the dim light of the night-lamp on the table by her bed a quarter to one she had left the drawing-room a few minutes after ten it was long for godfrey to have sat reading alone but he was insatiable when he had a new book that interested him she got up and put on her slippers and dressing-gown prepared to take him to task for his late hours she was not alarmed by her dream but the sound of that sharp report was still in her ears as she lighted her candle and went down into the silent house she opened the drawing-room door and looked across to the spot where she expected to see her husband sitting his chair was empty the lamp was burning just as she had left it hours ago burning with a steady light under the green porcelain shade but he was not there puzzled and with a touch of fear she went slowly across the room towards his chair he had strayed out onto the terrace perhaps he had gone out for a final smoke she would steal after him in her long white gown and frighten him if she could he ought at least to take me for a ghost she thought she stopped transfixed with a sudden horror he was lying on the carpet at her feet in a huddled heap just as he had rolled out of his chair his head was bent forward between his shoulders his face was hidden she tried to lift his head hanging over him calling to him in passionate entreaty and behold her hands and arms were drowned in blood his blood splashed her white peignoir it was all over her she seemed to be steeped in it as she sat on the floor trying to get a look at his face to see if his wound was mortal for some moments she had no other thought than to sit there in her horror repeating his name in every accent of terror and of love beseeching him to answer her then gradually came the conviction of his unconsciousness and of the need of help he was badly hurt dangerously hurt but it might not be mortal help must be got he must be cured somehow she could not believe that he was to die 
she rushed to the bell and rang again and again and again hardly taking her finger from the little ivory knob listening as the shrill electric peal vibrated through the silent house it seemed an age before there was any response and then three servants came hurrying in the butler and one of the footmen and a scared housemaid they saw her standing there tall and white dabbled with blood someone has been trying to murder him she cried didn't you hear a gun no no one had heard anything till they heard the bell the two men lifted sir godfrey from the floor to the sofa and did all they could to staunch that deadly wound in his neck from which the blood was still pouring a bullet wound lambert the butler was afraid that the bullet had pierced the jugular vein if there was life still it was only ebbing life juanita flung herself on the ground beside that prostrate form and kissed the unconscious lips and the cold brow and those pallid cheeks kissed and cried over him and repeated again and again that the wound was not mortal is any one going for the doctor she cried frantically are you all going to stand still and see him die lambert assured her that thomas was gone to the stable to wake the men and dispatch a mounted messenger for mr dolby the family doctor he might have helped us more if he had run there himself cried juanita there will be time lost in waking the men and saddling a horse i could go there faster she looked at the door as if she had half resolved to rush off to the village in her dressing-gown and slippers and then she looked again at that marble face and again fell upon her knees by the sofa and laid her cheek against that bloodless cheek and moaned and cried over him while the butler went to get brandy with but little hope in his own mind of any useful result what an end to a honeymoon he said to himself despondently End of chapter 5